Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurntOrangeNation.com. Before we get started, though, today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out. Shares with your friends, your coworkers, wherever you found it, whether it's Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Tune in, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts on the internet, feel free to share us with anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn sports. Also, I'd love to remind you that our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of that same premium membership. Now you got to do is sign up using the offer code Longhorn. Now, I absolutely love Potty, and it makes it so easy to host, get your podcast out there. All you do is record, edit, upload it, and they take it from there. So again, if you want to sign up for a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of your premium membership, all you got to do is go to Podiant, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code Longhorn. We'd love to have you there as well. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by the real reason Drake didn't release that final diss track, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how you doing, bud? Uh, the things I know I can't reveal, but I'm I'm doing all right. It's uh, I actually have a nice little Pim's cup tonight, having having a sip on while we uh, record here, at least in preparing uh, for it. Uh, a because summer is just two weeks away from being officially over, though pumpkin spice lattes are plenty. Um, it will officially be fall in a couple weeks here, and um, I'm also drinking for fun and not for sorrow because. Um, Important note here for listeners, how well your football team or sports team that you most identify with does, does not define you or how great or successful or good of a person you are. It doesn't define any of those things, but it does define how well my Saturdays go. So uh, hopefully they can be better because, you know, I've got things to do on either side generally of a Texas game. So let's just get it up. So we're going to dive in, talk about some Tulsa. We'll recap what went right, what went wrong as Texas finally got a win. I say finally, we're two weeks into the season. Uh, and then we'll do a little bit of a USC preview. We've got a little bit of news for you on the tail end. And then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Kyle, uh, you and I were exchanging some text messages. We were live tweeting over at uh, on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We we're both kind of excited uh, about the way this game opened. So Texas jumped out to a twenty-one nothing lead. Looked like they were going to just blow the doors off of Tulsa. Looked really good going into halftime. 
And then the third quarter happened and the fourth quarter happened and Tulsa decided it wanted to make a game of it. Uh, the defense got a little winded and let Tulsa score uh, 21 unanswered points, which which feels great to be able to say. Um, and Texas was able to score a late touchdown and keep things moving in the positive. So I'm just going to flat ask you, Texas started off really hot, struggled in the second half, specifically in the third quarter. What the heck happened against Tulsa? Oh, man. Uh, good, the bad, and the ugly uh, in this one in, in a very real way. There were some good things. Um, that first half, there were some really good things. Um, you have to – well, let's start with the ugly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's easier to start there. Yeah. Texas wins by seven. Let's say Herman doesn't take a knee at the end. Maybe they win by 14. But Tulsa clearly drops two touchdowns in the end zone, misses four field goals. Like that <laughs> – we could be looking at a very different outcome in a very, very, very salty um, kind of group of, of hosts sitting here today talking about this. If, if we started the season 0-2, the uh, the flames underneath the, the chair in, in Moncrief uh, that, uh, that, that, that Tom Herman uh, occupies would, would, be, would be scintillating. I'll say that if you lose to Tulsa <laughs> after losing to Maryland. So... Um, I kind of was joking with people after the loss, and I said, "Hey, um, you know, would you rather have moral victories taken from close close losses like we did in 2017, or or moral losses taken from victories that that should have been more?" And I will definitely take the latter. Uh, if that's the new era of Texas football, where it's like, "Dang, we should have beat them by more," um, then sure, I'll take that. At least it's a W. That's something. Uh, but this is week two, so it's you have to, as you know, uh, highly trained and highly paid uh professionals we have to uh, extrapolate with the data that yeah we're both laughing with the data that we have provided before us and so we have two games and uh if this is the better of the two then then it is a little bit it is a little bit worrying and, and, and i'll just say this to, to connect the kind of tissue between them um this is an example of of a texas team that has played about a game of football so far in two games. They've played maybe a half, or, or I don't know if they really even got a whole half against Maryland, but maybe three and a half quarters. Um, they've actually played football um, out of out of eight, so that's not a great not a great stat. Um, so so maybe the the kind of USC game coming up or the 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 slate that's right before them is the thing that wakes them up and and kind of gives them the encouragement they need. Big game Tom uh, that we all kind of know and love comes through and we see something miraculous and it's a galvanizing um, kind of force for this season. Um, but I mean it's it's the talent gap between Tulsa in Texas is so unbelievably wide. And that's not to disparage Tulsa or say that, you know, they didn't deserve to be there. They, they played their butts off and, you know, a couple things break different for them. They get a signature marquee win or whatever, but uh, the talent gap is so wide that it, there's no point that a Texas program should be, you know, fans of a Texas program should be sweating in the fourth quarter, you know, wondering, are, are we going to do something stupid and mess this up? You know, it, it shouldn't be that close. Yeah. And, I think you said they played about three quarters of a game of football, and I I don't know what else you need to do to get consistently up 
for a game. Like Maryland, it shouldn't have been an issue for them being up. They, you know, Herman said a week ago that they were too tight. He made a reference to a book that he clearly didn't remember the point of. Um, <laughs> and uh, he struggled. They struggled against Maryland, and so I think they got the message loud and clear. They came out, played really well um, in the you know that first half against Tulsa, and then. You know, he said it himself. He finally actually owned something, by the way. That, that's a marquee. Well, maybe it's a turning point in his coaching career that he actually owned up to. I was a little too hard on them at halftime, uh, and they came out and played a little too tight uh, in the second half. And so I, I just – I'm just going to say this. Based, based upon what I've seen on the field, um, I always think back to something that, that we used to say way back in the day. Um, as far as what this team is going to be, game recognizes game, and and this team and Tom Herman are looking real unfamiliar right now. Like I just don't, I just don't buy what's happening. I don't buy the rhetoric. I don't. I, it's just, I, I'm a fan, and I'm going to continue to cheer. But there's nothing. Um, I say nothing. There's little that encouraged me about that second half performance. Uh, I think the defense. I can't put it on them because they were gassed. Like. Yeah. That third quarter, we talked about it. There were three series in that, that third quarter um, that the offense basically went three plays and punted. Now, I know mm-hmm. there were, like I said, two of the one of them that was extended longer because the offense had penalties and had to replay some downs. But the offense struggled. And the defense, I mean, if you're on the play, if you're on the field the majority of a quarter, you're going to give up some points. That's just kind of how it goes. I, I Am I am I being too pessimistic here? Like, should I be able to see uh, some shine on this, or, or or is it as bad as I feel like it is? Well, I'll say specifically to the defense. Um, we can talk about the offense, but I think specifically to the defense, there were some bright spots. I think um, I think Gary Johnson um, played again about three quarters of a game phenomenally. Uh, they they had a dynamic kind of quarterback. I think um, President was an even better runner than Skipper, who took. I believe all of the snaps, but uh, still, still two dual threat quarterbacks. And so I think it was a conscious effort by Orlando um, to look at that and to kind of have Johnson in, in a, you know, that, that not always a spy, but always that position where he's in the middle taking crossing routes, kind of ready to go downhill and stop a, a mobile quarterback. And for the most part, up until really the fourth quarter, when, um, Tulsa started going for it, or I guess in the third quarter started going for it on every fourth down, um, which admittedly here, guys, I've long been a proponent that teams should never punt. And I know, I know, I know we are the foremost, the internet's foremost uh, punting podcast. Um, And I'll talk more about Michael Dixon and my bang the drum. Um, But truly if it's under, you know, a couple yards, the the odds just tell you go for it on fourth down. So um, it it is exactly how I play my video game dynasties. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the defense you think Five-time about time national champions <laughs> represent um and that was before Ole Miss was dirty but uh but yeah uh <laughs> the um you know the the defense was gassed because not only were they you know getting three and outs but they were you know going forward on fourth which led to extended drives they had some dynamic playmakers um you know I think Roach looked looked pretty good when he was doing what he was supposed to he had one great play where he knocked a guy down in coverage um in a legal jam situation and then closed and destroyed you know a guy in an underneath route which was great but I don't know if that's where I most want to see him you know dropping back running you know perpendicular you know, uh, diagonally away from 
away from the line of scrimmage. That's that's not really where I see his strength. Wheeler was all over the place, so our linebackers all looked good. And of course the young guys, that's who've been getting all the hype, and I think rightfully so. You know, Stearns started the game off and really didn't drop off from that. He was one of the consistent performers throughout the game. I watched him, you know, most plays coming up, um, making tackles, stringing out plays. Um, he was one of the few guys who looked like he could get up on on some of the screens and, and jet sweeps and, and oddly enough for, for an 18-year-old kid seemed to have some of the better recognition on that defense. I think one thing, if we're going to say it right here, um, the defense has to do, not, not you know, must or should or whatever, you know, not should, but absolutely has to do, um, they need to get some pressure on the quarterback. There needs to be a consistent pass rush. Um, I, I think with, with Hager and Omenahu and, and what we saw from Nelson in, in, in kind of some places in the first game, um, and even some of the other guys behind them, there was a, just a little bit of an assumption that we would have more than one sack at this point in the season and, and have, you know, a dozen more quarterback hurries than we do. So I, I think it puts a ton of pressure on those other positions, especially a thin linebacking core and a, and a secondary that's going to bring in play some young guys. It, it, it has to change. The defense, I think, will get better. I think that pressure, I'm hoping really will come and maybe Orlando saved a couple things for the the real meaty scary part of the schedule you know maybe there's something in there that the bag of tricks that they're waiting to to pull out but um you know I I think the defense looks a little below where we wanted to see it and it needs to look above um you know where where it is right now in order for this to be any semblance of a successful season yeah, and you mentioned that Texas only has one sack this year. That's by a defensive back, by the way. The yep. the front the front seven still is is without a sack. Uh, I believe Chris Boyd is the one that has mm-hmm. has the only sack for the Longhorns. I I I was expecting a little more of the offensive line. Now, obviously, uh, or sorry, the defensive line, the the defensive line. I think um, like I said it two weeks ago. It's it's a small front. Outside of Charles Homene, who, you know, at nose and at the other defensive end, it's a small front. I think that's what, if I could spin it back a year ago, I think what made this defense so good is that the front seven put pressure on quarterbacks and forced them to make throws they didn't want to and allowed Mm -hmm. the defensive backs to play opportunistically. I think that's probably a bit of the secret of success. Puna Ford resetting the line of scrimmage. Brecken Hager doing a ton of crazy things on the end. Uh, and then that, that linebacking group was able to, to flow free because they didn't have blockers in their face. And and again, if you're blitzing on the edge and, and you've got, I'm going to take Malik Jefferson over any left tackle any day of the week. Like, it's just how, how it goes if he's running at you full force, which again, allows your defensive backs to play really opportunistically. So I think... Um, if this offensive, if this defensive line, I keep doing that. If they can figure out a way to create some pressure on Saturday, especially um, as Texas faces a young quarterback, I think it could be a difference maker. But uh, not moving too far ahead, the offense looked good in the first half. The offense, like like we keep saying, Ellinger ten to fifteen for one hundred and sixty eight yards and a touchdown. Uh, Keontae Ingram averaged six point seven yards per carry uh, and a touchdown. Uh, Trey Watson thirty eight yards on nine carries. Lil Jordan Humphrey almost cracked the century mark. So the offense looked good and they looked especially good when they went when they went hurry up when they went quick when they went no huddle uh, when they're in the flow of the game they seemed to go well and then they moved away from it and yep. and struggled and I, and. I don't know. If, again, I think it's over coaching. I think coaches are moving away from what works best uh, and playing a little bit too conservatively. What do you What do you think about that offensive switch? Yeah, I mean, 
I think it's interesting. We we, we saw a couple um, a couple plays that stood out that were winning plays. I think in the first half, like you said, um, they were able to move the ball at will. Of course, there's disappointment when you get inside the the one basically um, and can't punch it in with three tries. Um, I, I thought he was really close on that second down and never got close again. Um, I, I think that's that's tough and also disappointing. Uh, but I, I think they were okay. But there was a couple winning plays in the second half, actually, that Ellinger made with his feet on a third down, um, a lengthy conversion where he, he kind of audibled and, and then had to cut back after that. Um, the the touchdown play to Trey Watson on the on the RPO that was actually executed. And I see other teams run that all you know around the country. And I'm like, why can't Texas, with the athletes we have, um, run that play and that was the first time I've seen them run that successfully um if you're gonna kind of draw up these design runs and I know that Herman said he doesn't want Ellinger running as much but if you're gonna go with him as your quarterback and know that that's one of your weapons then then use the full gamut of it have some of those RPOs have some of these these dynamic kind of decision making plays and that's the only thing that I can think because we watched him um on the zone reads um kind of belly it a little bit too long to make a decision whether he handed it off or kept it. And even I think at least on one or two of those make the wrong read. Um, so, I mean, that's tough. And that is literally the hardest part of this kind of new 20 aughts uh, college football game for a quarterback is those decisions. But, you know, there's guys who, who do it all around the country and do it really, really well. Um, so, you know, kind of getting that mental speed for, for Ellinger to make those decisions and, and being able to do that, I think um, along with the tempo, like you said, I don't know why, unless they're saving it. I, I don't understand why. Why, if it if it works, why you would stop doing it until the defense stops it? Um, I know in the Maryland game, it was like a, we tried a trick play, you know, a double re- or a reverse type of thing that that blew it up and, and kind of killed the momentum. And you know, it's like, hey, if you're if you're just lining up quick at speed, running base sets, you know, your your little counter play that you love to run, or your power, or your kind of quick hitting pass routes and that's working and it's working five plays in a row don't overthink it don't you're not only over coaching the kids you're overthinking and out coaching yourself you know just dance with the ones that brung you you know that's that's dkr was right about a lot of things and and none more probably than that if it ain't broke don't fix it just to to keep the cliches piling on I, i don't I don't really get it but i did see some things that i think were are replicable and were winning you know, big 12 level, excellent, you know, high caliber plays that gives me just the faintest bit of, of hope and confidence that building those into a, into a, an offense and into a string of plays is something that this Texas team, that the coaches saw the same things we did and that they can, they can make that, uh, make that a pattern. Doesn't go Lil Jordan Humphrey, Daniel Young as their goal line wildcat set. I may lose my mind. Like, that is exactly what that Wildcat set is for. You have your running quarterback guy who can, who's a he's, – he's 6'5". Yep. He's bigger than everybody else on the field not named Colin Johnson and maybe your offensive lineman. But you have your 6'5", dual threat, triple threat really, wide receiver playing at the quarterback spot. And you have Danny Young who, for all of his faults, will put a hat on somebody and put a hurt on somebody. Um, he plays like he plays like Chris Warren against San Jose State is what Danny <laughs> Young plays like, but all the time. Yeah. Uh, we saw that in the fourth quarter where he had fresh legs and he bodied somebody. So if that's not your if that's not your goal line set, uh, then we need to talk about maybe somebody else taking over as the offensive coordinator. Like it just it just makes sense for me. 
And I want you to get back to that because you're rolling right now. I love it. You're, you're speaking the truth. But we did have some great suggestions on Twitter, and I just want to read them out here to give people credit. There was the, yes. t- the 23 wheeler um, mm. to, to take the Jumpman package, which was another one to the next level. Uh, there was the Little Cat, which is just, you know, very um, direct, and I like it. Um, and then, you know, I, I, uh, I think I saw a, a little something sumpries for the, uh, for the, uh, the the little Jordan Humphreys, um, so you know I think we're still workshopping it, but you know uh, feel free to tweet that at us or or you know hit us up in in the email with your with your best takes. But I don't mean to derail because I think Gerald, you were on it. I think running that package, I think um, you know at least in the goal line, if not getting a couple more reps, that's where you can get your trigger. Just just give them a different look. I don't think you need um, you know double reverse passes. Seven people touching the ball on one play. No, I I'm partial to to the uh, to the jump man. I don't, that's just me. I don't know why. I just it feels good. Uh, no, so the fact that you have a power back in Daniel Young and you don't put him in on the goal line just just and you've got three tight ends. If they go old school Madden goal line set and just run behind their massive t- line and their massive tight ends. It make it works. You can get that one yard. I, for me, the 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 things that I think give me hope for this offense is when they go tempo. Um, when they go tempo, when they decide that it's hurry up time, and and I I kind of I kind of dumped on the offense in the second half. The fact that they were able to put together a five minute drive to kill that clock was impressive. Uh, that is that's a team that's a, that's a drive that a year ago somebody fumbles. Or somebody throws an interception. Or really, even a week ago, somebody throws an interception. So, uh, the way they bookended it was really good. There's just... It, it's tough for me to watch a team this talented leave stuff on the field. I think that's that's where my frustration comes in. Because the pieces are there. The talent is there. The offensive line has improved. The quarterback is has grown and matured. You've got some of the best wide receivers in the country. You've got a stable of, of running backs. I'm just tired of seeing this offense leave stuff on the field. And when push comes to shove, I think it's going to, it's coming down to coaching, whether it's head coach or offensive coordinator, there's just something that's not quite hidden. Yeah. And and I I think you said it there, not to to beleaguer the point, but um, you know, depth, the fact that UT has depth at positions, the fact that they, they can bring in, you know, I know it's kind of due to injury, but they can bring in Danny Young late in the game with fresh legs and a, and a hunger in his belly to, to earn some more snaps who will just destroy a defense. Take advantage of that. You know, if you have guys, you know, use them. Get them in there and, and, and get enough plays on the offense, sustain drives where you can do that. Um, and then I think a, a huge shout has to go to, to Herb Hand in the offensive line. Now, um, I, I kind of have been a little bit, I don't want to get too celebratory because I think Tulsa is not the best defensive unit by any stretch that UT is going to play. So I think you have to temper it right there. But taking that, that grain of salt, the offensive line looked very good. Um, they look solid. I mean, in, in uh, pro football focused as their college gradings now, and they uh, put out their team of the week each week. And actually, uh, Samuel Cosme, congrats to him, was uh, – yeah, he was the the starting tackle on their team of the week. So the the one of the best offensive linemen in the country this week, according to this website that watches every game and grades every position, you know, and has a team of people who do that. So a guy who's just mashing um, on on that on that uh, right side was was fantastic to see, uh, especially because we we keep saying all our experience is on the left side. So um, you know, I, I think hopefully Ingram's injury is not too serious and he can get 
get some reps, but I think Watson looks like a looks like a guy. He can do some things. I think Danny Young came back from the issues he, he maybe showed in the first week. The line looked uh, better. I think having Shackelford still injured is, is going to you know continue to put a little bit of a damper. But Elijah Rodriguez played a pretty good game uh, under center and or at center, I guess. And uh, and so I think that. I think that this line is is coming together a little bit and starting to uh, get a little bit of an identity. And and if it's running the ball, and we'll talk about as we transition to USC, um, why we think that might be a a key. But if it's running the ball, then it's going to be on those linemen. Get nasty, get mean, get a reputation, man. Get 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 your name out there. Like that, you know. People didn't know Connor Williams at the beginning of his career. He was a guy who got thrown in there and wasn't a huge. He's like a Cosme. Wasn't a the biggest recruit out of high school, but was a guy who, as soon as people saw him, they said, "Oh, yeah, he's really." something and that's all that we talked in our pre our preview in the season was that you know he was a guy who everyone who saw him after redshirting was salivating over what he could do so get in there earn a reputation go get yourself paid son you know do it uh, do it every week get nasty so um if texas could finally start to have a, a a line not you know all americans necessarily all across it but a line that you can win with then maybe you can start to get that offensive identity again i think they have some of it this this is an offensive line that uh, is mostly the same guys from a year ago, but rather than averaging essentially three sacks a game, I think they were like 2.6 or 2.7 sacks a game a year ago, they've given up two in two games. So they're averaging almost two sacks better a game than than last year. And so um, this that, that was the key area that everybody says, if the offensive line can improve, and they have. They're playing well, they're playing better, um, and they're even missing pieces. They're, they're missing... Two two starters plus Grandy, who was supposed to be a depth guy who who had to retire from football. So that that is a unit that I think if uh, if they can continue to keep it going, and I think USC has been suspect, and we'll just move on there. USC has been suspect in some particular areas. Uh, I think the 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 outcome may continue to improve, and as this team continues to gel. I think I think it has the opportunity. So Texas opens up as a three and a half point favorite over USC, which is interesting to see. Um, don't know where, don't know why. Maybe I'm not a bet. I'm not a bet man, but I wouldn't take that. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. And whatever, we'll move on. But um, so Texas hosts USC starts as a three and a half point favorite. I bet that line moves to one or one and a half by the time uh, kickoff happens. Uh, USC's projected starter got number one guy on the depth chart. Uh, JT Daniels has a hand bruise that he suffered in their loss against UCLA. I was taken off the field, came back later in the game, but apparently has been dealing with some swelling uh, and has not practiced yet this week. Uh, he's backed up by Matt Fink, who is a three-star dual threat guy. Uh, so, Kyle, I'm trying to not feel anything I'm trying to just be numb to this like I'm trying to not open my heart again uh but what what is it what is it looking like this weekend at least from your perspective and should I be willing to open my heart again with the with the opportunity or maybe the the danger of getting hurt one more time well I'll say this um I I think 22 and 23 to start the season looks real good for this matchup I don't think either of these teams deserved uh to have a number next to their name and I think we've proven that uh by the end of the season, could either of these teams deserve it? Sure. Um, you know, JT Daniels, our starting quarterback, is, is a, I think, a true freshman who came in and beat out the experienced guys. And I don't know, he is a, a promising talent, but I don't know if that's because he was that great or because there wasn't much behind him. So him going out, I think, is a big part. I think 
University of Texas at Austin being undefeated at home in 2018. Oh boy. Um, you know, UT's at home. Um, USC has to come. You look at last year with a lot of the same team back, um, you know, more back for Texas than back for USC. And they're a, you know, uh, Sam trying to push the pile and getting stripped, um, you know, on the goal line away from winning that game in, in USC, you know, or, or a couple other plays throughout the game. I don't want to pin it just on that one, but, you know, they're very close. So, you know, that I see how they could do that. I see how they could say, hey, this is pretty even. We'll give a, we'll give, I, I like you said, I think it'll go a little bit closer, but we'll give a one score um, slight advantage to, to UT at, at home. Because um, I think making Texas a home dog is, you know, it's still Texas. Come on. Um, so, uh, so I can see it, but I, I think, I think Texas this is where big big game <laughs> big game Tom uh has to has to earn his money has to um has to earn that moniker and has to really come out. They need to have a game plan and they need to wow um wow us kind of right from the start. Um again, I've hinted at it and I don't know if this is just me being a sunshine pumper and being optimistic, but maybe there's a card or two they haven't shown when they looked at their their kind of preseason they said, "Can we on talent come out and beat Maryland if we we know what they're going to do and, and Tulsa we know what they're going to do can we come out on talent and beat those guys and the answer should have been yes so maybe you know the the big uh the big schematic stuff comes out this week um I think Clancy Pendergrass the defensive coordinator for USC is is a little bit old school he runs a defense that's utterly chock full with five-star talent and NFL prospect um, all over, especially, you know, in the, the secondary and, and at linebacker, even though they've lost a lot. Um, but he kind of runs it. I think that Herman might be able to out, outthink him, but they're, you know, always run the risk that Herman outthinks himself, but might be able to come out and game plan in a way that, that, you know, they're able to do some things against that front seven. And especially the, the defensive line that's, that's looked a little bit suspect um, to the tune of 233 and uh, yards per game they're giving up. And, and I, I'll give you that one of those is Stanford, um, but the other is UNLV, you know, so, so, Texas is certainly somewhere between the two of those, and I think closer to the Stanford than the UNLV of the two. So, um, you know, maybe they can come through and and, and the line kind of can keep it up and, and the backs can continue to grow from where they are, and that can be the secret success, which, again, we talked about when we talked about Bouchelle. If you get a running game established, that doesn't just do running stuff. That helps your entire passing game. That helps give the extra seconds to get your burners that you have speed in the slots downfield. That gives Colin Johnson, you know, if they're putting an extra guy in the box, the chance to have one-on-one coverage. That gives little Jordan Humphrey the chance, you know, to get uh, to get a single guy with no help over the top to get that to get that uh, kind of intermediate seam route. Um, it opens up a ton of things for the rest of the offense if they get that going. So, you know, let the run feed to the pass. And I think this could be an interesting, interesting matchup. And then the, the, the big story is really the USC offense kind of sputtering against Stanford and, and especially with the injury to the quarterback that this could be a chance for Todd Orlando to come out and put the chains on USC ran against every team in the country last year. They were unstoppable except against Texas. Todd Orlando held them to like, I think it's like a hundred yards less per game than they average. You know, they're like 85 less than what they average. You know, he, he really shut them down. Um, and I don't think it was a fluke. So, you know, if he can come in and he can coach that, that team up and, and um, kind of shackle their weapons, they do have a hot freshman receiver with a fantastic name. Um, part of the, uh, the equiminius St. Brown uh, family tree. Um, uh, 
Amon Ra, I believe, St. Brown. So he's 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 the only receiver who's caught a touchdown for USC though this year. They they haven't really been slinging it around. So I think our our secondary should have the advantage there. And then, like I said, if if we can do the things we we've done in the past and, and you know done to some extent and for a few quarters at a time um, this season, then I think I think Texas lines up well enough that they could make this a 50-50 game. So first off, like it seems like this is a really terrible game for Keontae Ingram to be injured because it, it, it if there's a game for a young guy who needs uh, a little bit of a go-off, it, it would be this one. He already kind of went off twice, but I feel like he would have a field day against his USC defense. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get uh, some more uh, Trey Watson sightings. He is not going to be your, your uh, between-the-tackles, bang-it-out kind of guy. Uh, maybe we'll see some Tennille Carter. We'll probably see some more Danny Young. Uh, th- this is a team that seems sold on a three-running-back rotation, which I'm fine with, uh, as long as one of those running backs is not Kyle Porter. Uh, I- I'm sorry. like I hate to talk down on guys, and I hope none of the players listen to this because I've been kind of dumping on them today. Uh, but it just... I- of the, of the four guys that are available on Saturday, I think, I mean, the end of the season last year proved that, you know what, Tennille and, and Danny Young are the, are the better two running backs of those guys. So if it's a three-back three, three back rotation, I think um, getting getting Carter some reps would be great. He has uh, expressed some frustration with the coaching staff via Twitter, which may or may not have some recruiting impacts. We, we can leave that where it lies. But I, I think if this team can focus on the run, if they can execute a zone read really, really well, if they give Ellinger the mental tools to know when to pull the ball, when to pull the ball and throw it, I think this is a this is a game that is I don't want to call it winnable because I don't want to get my hopes up because again I've been hurt before, but it's a game that I think Texas has a shot um, of playing well and and. This is a team that showed this last week that they're finally learning how to win because, again, they kill the clock to keep a team off the field, and I thought that was impressive. So when push comes to shove, I it, it's, a, it's a toss-up for me, and, and I really – I want to see them win, and I want to be hopeful, but, again, I keep I, I keep coming back to it. Like, I just – there's nothing I can – I've seen so far that lets me trust this team. To quote Mac Brown, I'm scared to death of one thing about this USC team. Shot in the dark. Do you have any idea what scares me most about this USC team? I got nothing. <clears throat> Chase McGrath, USC's kicker, is four for four on the year. So, with a competent kicker, uh, I worry about what the Longhorns can do. I, we've kind of been relying so far on the fact that uh, the opposition would would look like you know uh, Longhorns of of yore, uh, where where you know it was about a. Uh, about a 50-50 at, at best, and we had to game plan around our special teams unit and, and do things like Tulsa had to do and uh, go for it on fourth down in situations you might not or whatever. Um, so coming in, he has, however... Um, no, I'm sorry, he's six for seven. He has missed a field goal. He's four for four on extra points, which is sad that he's only had four chances. Um, but... Uh, Check that out. But he's six for seven, so he has missed. I feel better about that, but the miss was over fifty yards. So, um, of a good kicker who has been consistent this year scares me a little bit. But no, truly, um, you know, remember last year, Colin Johnson had one hundred and ninety-one yards against this USC team. He he really came out. He looked like a dude who was playing on Sundays in that game. He looked like a guy who was hungry, locked in, um, ready to 
beat whoever was in front of him. Let's just remember Colin Johnson, a kid uh, who's who uh, came from California along with his brother Kirk O'Grines. Um, you know, dad moved out to California after playing at UT. So, um, you know, that maybe it's something about that California brings the California kids out. You know, maybe Colin Johnson goes off. Maybe, like you said, Trey Watson goes off. Or maybe it's just a good old-fashioned Texas uh, pride and, and, and we get someone, you know, who we're not thinking of. But uh, I really think that, that, you know, if we can get one of the – another performance like that that's a true standout performance, whether it's Lil Jordan Humphrey putting another, another one together um, or Colin Johnson putting it two years in a row or, you know, someone we're not thinking, maybe DuVernay just really – you know, his burners are going off and they, they don't have a guy who can, who can catch him in the slot. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's going to take an individual exceptional performance, you know, performer to, to do that. And, and Hey, maybe it's, maybe it's Ellinger. Maybe we're like, can you believe he threw for 323 and ran for another 86, um, you know, with, with no fumbles, no interceptions, like, Hey, you know that, that <laughs> go ahead and do it. Kid. 409 yards, by the way, that's, that's the number that Kyle just threw out there. 409 yards. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it'll set the line over under, but you know, that, that's what I'm saying. So I, I feel like someone, if, if we're going to be talking on this next week about, Hey, we called it, they had a chance, they, they executed and they did it. I think it's going to take someone, um, making an exceptional play and Hey, maybe something we haven't talked about, maybe some of those defensive points that we used to get, uh, from our horns last year with Holton Hill and, and the likes of those. So maybe Chris Boyd can capitalize and, and step up and, and, you know, get us, get us, uh, one of those interceptions that uh, he can't seem to, to get his hands on, uh, and, and bring that in. So, uh, you know, we have some, we have some monsters. Brandon Jones will be back. He's the guy returning kick kickoffs and looks fantastic. So you get the ball in his hands. Caden Stearns is a, is a wild athlete. Uh, we've shown that, uh, um, you know, obviously, you said Chris Boyd. Uh, so we, we have some we have some playmakers on that uh, defensive side of the ball that if they get the the ball in their hands, could be trouble. So maybe it's a defensive turnover, but there is gonna I feel like there's gonna be an individual performance uh, that ends up being the difference if Texas is able to bring this one home. I like that you said Johnny Johnson just moved out to California like he wasn't the L.A. Rams first round pick. <laughs> like that, a kid from Lagrange is not going to willingly move to California. Like let's just put that out there. Okay, uh, so, yeah. So that's <laughs> he wasn't in the tech sector. Okay, sue me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He didn't have a STEM degree. It's okay. Uh, so I don't. I for me, I don't know if it's going to be a big individual performance. I think. What's going to win this game and what's going to win any game that's that's on the schedule? Because TCU, Kansas State, which looked honestly kind of crappy this last weekend against Mississippi State, uh, OU, all, all those teams, it's not going to be, for me, in my mind, it's going to be the team putting together a complete game. No, no first half flatness, no second half letdowns. All 22 guys are going to put together a complete game, and that's what it's going to take to win, at least in my mind. You're going to have a running back that puts up a decent performance. You're going to have a quarterback that doesn't make mental mistakes. The offensive line is going to keep the pocket clean, create big holes. The defensive line is going to keep the point of attack, free up the linebackers to play like linebackers, let the DBs play free, play center field, let Stearns and those guys make big plays. I think that's what's going to win the game. If if, If all 22 guys can pull on the same rope in the same direction at the same speed on every play i think this team is talented enough to win this game well and maybe the guy who uh who has the individual performance is coach tom herman bringing it full circle so so texas will face usc again on saturday we got gus gus on the call 
Gus John, so it it could fireworks. Well, I mean that's that's why I think it's going to be a close game. You could have you could have told me that Texas had lost both games by a combined sixty points and USC had won by seventy. But if Gus Johnson's calling it, it has to be a good game. It's the law of Gus. Gus Johnson at night. It's a recipe. It's a recipe. <laughs> it is a recipe for fireworks. That's neither here nor there. So we've got a little bit of news for you. Uh, let's just keep it USC theme. So maybe this is just the maybe this is a, an omen. For what's going to happen. So uh, the one, the only Vincent Young is uh, was announced on uh, Monday that he is being inducted into the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame for not just the national championship performance, which is one of the greatest individual performances in modern college football history. Uh, He had the year before in which he put up probably one of the top 10 greatest individual performances of uh, modern college football against Michigan in that very same Rose Bowl and proclaimed that they would be back the next year. So, Kyle, I've got nothing else to say other than hopefully they can catch some Vince Young magic this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I I was a fan of the Chuck Norris jokes in, in college, and the first thing that came to mind when I read this is that the Rose Bowl should be inducted into the Vince Young Hall of Fame because that dude... That dude owns it. Um, no, I mean, I, I have mentioned many times I was the creator and and long after uh, people left it, the, the, the uh, advocate for the, the hot Facebook group, which I'm sure many of our listeners joined back in the day, the thousands, thank you for the thousands who joined, of Vince Young. Um, I know that, oh gosh, now I forgot it. <laughs> Vince Young made Rosebold a verb, I believe was the full name. Sorry to butcher that, but but yeah. So uh, you know, I, I those are probably my two watch DVDs, uh, two most watched DVDs in my console. Yes, I still have DVDs. Um, we'll have to put those up, but uh, we'll never get rid of those two because you're right. It's not one, but two miraculous and beautiful performances. And uh, oh, when we were when we were kings, man, it's it's I, just the good old days. The good old days from from oh oh three oh four to uh oh eight oh nine it was it was a good run ah. oh man felt good no, so uh here speaking of good stories so uh we've we've speculated we've we've talked about Andrew Jones and and his future as a Texas basketball player Kyle and I have both gone on record to say that. Even if he never suits up for the burnt orange again, uh, that him being back at the university and beating cancer is one of the best stories of the last few years for us. And then on uh, on I think it was Wednesday, Texas basketball they're having their you know picture session media day kind of situation and just kind of drop in, in, into the ether a team picture with old number one. Sitting there in the middle, grinning and hooking them. Uh, so Andrew Jones officially has, I mean, as officially as it can get, back on the basketball team for another season. So I, I have, I said it on Twitter. I'm gonna ugly cry the first game, just, just weeping, snot, just grossness. Um, but how big is it just to to see a guy like that? Not, not for any basketball reasons, just for as a leader, as somebody who can bring something to the table. Like, how big is that to see him back in that burnt orange uniform? Oh, it's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's the greatest thing, honestly, probably since since Vince's 
Rose Bowl for me. Just like uh, in the past years, there's been there's been cool things that have happened with Longhorn sports, but this is one that I you know I'll tell my kids about. It's just seeing him and and you actually are the one who sent that to me and and we put it out on the Twitter account and a lot of people reacted similarly um, to to that picture. And then just a series of uh, him were released after kind of him posing and doing different things, and and he's the life in him. I mean, just he he looks he looks so happy, so you know eager to be there so ready to get on and do the next things with his life um it's incredible i mean we talked about him ringing the bell but just now it's coming all the way through like you said that that first game um i still remember that the the first game after he was diagnosed with the players um coming back i think it was a double overtime win um but just holding his jersey and and just the the tears of the players and and I will admit the tears that I had welling up watching that, you know, just, just imagine that times 10. Cause he's back. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's so cool. This is by far, uh, my favorite sports story of any sport, anything. And I, and I think people all around the country, one thing I loved, I'll just say one more thing I love seeing is I went deep, just reading all the comments I could find on it. Cause I just couldn't get enough. And there were sooner fans saying, you know, I'll never say this again, but hook him, Andrew Jones. And there was Aggie saying, you know, God bless and hook them. And, you know, just like hate was put aside for a minute because this is the type of story that unifies everyone. Everyone can get behind how incredible this is. And I I love to see that. So it was, it was great. It simultaneous simultaneously reminds us that there are things that are bigger than sports and also contextualizes why sports are so important to a lot of people. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, a couple of quick news notes. Number 10, Texas men's golf opened their season at the Gopher Invitational and finished second at the tournament behind those dirty Sooners. Uh, Texas women's soccer remains undefeated, 6-0-1 and a tie uh, with a 4-0 win over Houston Baptist uh, as they continue to tune up for conference play uh, and then Texas women's volleyball had a, had a little bit of a stumble uh, but they are back to number three with a victory over Kentucky on Friday they will kick off um, at basically when you hear this uh, they'll be playing a home and home that a weird Tuesday Friday split um, against uh, against Stanford who's I believe ranked number two in the nation so that'll be a great set of games for you to watch yeah in, in Texas volleyball they, they played a heck of a schedule I think Kentucky was number six when they beat them, they're like the fourth or fifth ranked team they've played. So they're earning their stripes at number three. And as they head, that Stanford series will be the last before they head into Big 12 play. I think it's going to pay off big time and really get them ready to, you know, win the Big 12 and, and take it further into the tournament. So uh, make sure you tune in. If you're anywhere near Austin, get there for the uh, the Friday game in Austin. We've we've long said Gregory Gym is one of the best places to watch a sporting event in the world. So uh, get out there and scream point Texas. It's incredible. If you have an opportunity, you should do it. But now it's the time of the show where Kyle and I honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, one of our favorites, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, I need to atone for what I said earlier about why you should uh, you should always go for it on fourth down and never punt. There is There is an exception always to the rule, and that exception is best position player best player at his position already after one game in the nfl rookie sensation clear rookie of the year candidate very probable pro bowler surefire hall of famer michael dixon i my love for this man knows no bounds you know um 
couple things he could teach his cousin, but we won't get into that. But, uh, you know, he's just so great. They, I mean, they talked about him on, on Good Morning Football. Like, hey, he could be one of the top jersey sales. It's a cheeky Mike Dixon. I'd encourage everyone, go on NFL.com to the Seahawks site. Order yourself a number four Mike Dixon. Those are pretty sweet jerseys anyways, but Mike Dixon um, jersey. Let's get him to the top. That's going to be a, a plug there. Um, but, uh, you know, he... Uh, he started just as well as advertised. You know, we, we watched him through the preseason. We said, hey, he's really good. No, 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 actually, he's really, really good. And they mic'd him up, and just watching him be charming was great. You know, he really has a sense of humor, and he, he seems to really be getting more and more of the nuance of football outside of the special teams aspect of it, but really just getting that. Um, you know, and, and so watching him in his first game, um, do you know what his net average was uh, for his debut NFL game, um, net punting average? I'm going to let you take a shot in the dark. <laughs> yeah, that would be if he if they made him do it left-footed, like when uh, they added a three-point line to try to mitigate Wilt Chamberlain. No, his his average net, to remind you, again, to, for those of you who don't follow the nuances of punting like Gerald and I do, net is the, the yardage after any type of return or if it goes into a touchback or anything like that, um, which obviously Dixon had no, no touchbacks, but... Um, he uh, he kicked six times, dropped all of them inside the twenty, so no touchbacks there. But he averaged fifty seven point five net, which would be the which which is the second best ever all time of any punter in NFL history. Anyone who's ever played that position all time ever, there's only one person who's ever done it better, and this was his first shot at it. He'll have you know two hundred to five hundred more of those. So um, yes, he's going to play for for thirty eight years, but. Uh, he, <laughs> he the guy has has blown away my utterly ridiculously lofty expectations. Um I am so happy that like to watch NFL fans because uh, I the Seahawks haven't been great. Uh, shouts to Earl who who got himself an interception back as well, but the Seahawks otherwise haven't been great. But Seahawks fans are just like, well, at least we have a punter to watch and I'm like, god bless you. Welcome to the last 3 years of Longhorn football. You're going to love it here. Um but Michael Dixon is doing what Michael Dixon does and I love it. And he's probably the main reason I'm going to tune in on Sunday. So hook up Mike Dixon. Thanks for being a Longhorn legend. And, and I'm so excited to see uh, what you have in store for the rest of your career. So he's basically punting from his own 30 to the opponent's 25-yard line every time he boots it. I mean, it helps to have a bad team to really highlight how good your punter is, which, again, the Seahawks are taking a note at the Longhorns playbook. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he took that bowl game Missouri performance and, and now has made it just a thing where he wins games himself. Second year captain. We're going to go ahead and call it. So my my bang the drum is probably going to make some people mad. And let's just – I'm getting that out there. You can tweet at us, Longhorn Pod. Tweet at me, at GH Goodrich. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Uh, so I stumbled upon a website, uh, www.firetomherman.com. Now, I, at this point in my life, I'm not a big fan of what Tom Herman's teams are producing. I said it earlier in the, in the, in the show, game recognizes game and Tom's looking a little unfamiliar right now. Like that's what I'm feeling. Um, but the fact of the matter is that if you want to fire a coach 15 games into his tenure, there is a there's a fundamental lack of understanding of how that you build something. You cannot build anything if you continually change the foundation. 
There is a reason why the first thing they do when they construct a home is pour the foundation. They level the ground and they pour the foundation. You can't build anything if you continue to fire the head coach. This is the first time since I believe 2013 that there has not been at least one change on the on the coaching staff. And again, I'm not happy with Tom Herman. I've said it before. I'm not happy with Tom Herman. Now, I'm not Derek Foreman levels of upset with Tom Herman. I don't think any of us are. But I'm not happy with Tom Herman. But to want to fire the coach 15 games into the season is just silly. Or into his tenure is just silly. It just is. Because you you haven't seen what the true fruition of his culture is. Now, granted, I, I'm I'm not anticipating great fruits on the seeds that are being planted, but I would be happy if I'm wrong. I would be so happy to be wrong about Tom Herman. Uh, but again, I, I you cannot you cannot fire a game a coach two games into a second season. It's just it's it's ridiculous. It's it's. It just seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of how you build anything. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before. I think the thing that safeguards us from that type of thinking is that Chris Del Conte so far has been spot on with every one of his decisions. Uh, If it came down to that, I think it would be well thought out, well reasoned, and well deserved, ultimately. I don't think we're anywhere near that. I don't think Del Conte would do something like that. so I think we're, we're protected, but, uh, you know, uh, it says something about the, about where fans feel we are versus where we should be, that that's even a part of the conversation. But I, I do think, thank God for Chris Del Conte and the sane, uh, part of that athletic, the head at the top of the athletic department making the decisions because people are mad. People are mad. And, and don't, don't take this as me not having high expectations. Guys, I was there for... Vincent Colt. I was on the field filming Colt McCoy play. Like I saw Vince Young do the Oklahoma State two-step. I saw it. I was there. I was in the stands for the Vince games. I was on the sidelines for the Colt games. Like, guys, I was there for that. And Texas football's not where it should be. It isn't. I'm not I'm not arguing against that. I don't think anybody would. But I'm arguing just simply let's let's not fire the coach 15 games into his tenure. Like it's just it, it what I, I'm, I could what I, I've beaten that dead horse a little bit. But that's all the show we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? I think you find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter, and I'll be tweeting uh, all the hot takes there. I think Gerald and I had a wonderful game tweeting um, at the uh, on our official show Twitter, at Longhorn Pod. Um, so make sure you follow both of those for game day tweets, but really uh, we'll, we'll be going from the Longhorn Pod. But the other place, of course, is uh, Texas Pregamer, which we have a Twitter as well, at Texas Pregamer, um, and, and that's the Barking Carnival weekly uh, Longhorn kind of um, irreverent and insane preview column. Uh, that that I do over there. So check out any and all of those. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Like Kyle said, follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email if you don't like something that was just said and bang the drum, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. And always remember when you have a hot mic.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.